I thought if I might go to a Catholic church that I should confess to my seething cauldron of illicit loves. Uh And the way I do it is to uh, read Book 3 of Confessions of St. Augustine. Book 3, 1-1. I came to Carthage and was immersed in a seething cauldron of illicit loves. I had not yet loved, but was burning to experience love, and consumed by an inner craving, and was vexed at myself for not craving more. In love with love, I sought an object of love, but shunned a path that had no snares. I was consumed by hunger, deprived of inner food. If you're deprived of inner food, whatever that is, that could be like nectar dripping down out of your third eye or something. If you're deprived of nectar of Amrit Shabda, dripping down from the third eye. I was consumed by hunger, deprived of inner food, deprived of you, my God, and yet it was not for you that I hungered. I lacked all desire for incorruptible sustenance. You see, when you get nectar out of the third eye, that's incorruptible sustenance, but I lacked all desire for incorruptible sustenance. This is before I reached enlightenment. I desired uh, illicit loves. I lacked all desire for incorruptible sustenance, not because I was sated by it, but the emptier I was, the more I disdained it. And so my soul sickened and covered in pustules, gushed forth wretchedly, striving to be soothed by sensual objects. Yet if these objects had not had a soul, they would not have been objects of love. So, the objects of love also have a soul. To love and be loved was all the sweeter to me if I could delight in the body of the beloved. So I sullied the clear spring of friendship with the filth of carnality, dulling its brightness with infernal lust. No, I was base and vile in my vanity. I paraded myself as refined and urbane. That's why you go to college and music school, so you can parade yourself as refined and urbane. So I flung myself into that love by which I so long to be seized. My God, my mercy, in your goodness, how much gall did I sprinkle on that sweetness, for I was loved and secretly attained the fetters of delight, rejoicing in being enshmished in the tangle of misery to be scourged. With the burning rods of jealousy, suspicion, fear, anger, and contention. Book 2.2. I was captivated by theatrical spectacles filled with images of my miseries, which poured foil on my fire. That's like being obsessed with watching movies these days. Why is it that man wants to sorrow by watching distressing tragic things that he would not want to endure? That's like me watching Stalingrad. (laughs) And yet he wants to endure the sorrow as a spectator, and the sorrow is his delight. What is this if not utter folly? Indeed, the more a man is moved by such suffering, the less free he is of it himself. For when one is suffering, it is called misery. But when one feels sympathy for the suffering of others, it is called compassion. But what sort of compassion is this for things that are feigned and staged? The spectator is not so summoned to help, but only to grieve. And the more he grieves, the more he applauds the actor of these representations. 
But if the misfortunes, whether of ancient times or invented, are acted in such a way that the spectator does not grieve, he leaves the theater filled with disappointment and anger, but he, if he does grieve, he delights in his tears. <laughs> hmm. I used to delight that I was not in Stalingrad. So when I read Stalingrad, I was delighted that I wasn't there. 2.3. Thus sorrows are also loved, uh, but people want to enjoy themselves. No one likes to be miserable. I think that's true. No one likes to be miserable, but some people are obsessed with their misery. <laughs> Even if he likes to commiserate, so do we love sorrows, because commiserating cannot exist without misery. This also arises from what we might call this vein of human relations. But where does this vein lead? Where does it flow to? Why does it pour into the torrent of bullying pitch that gushes forth into the monster surges of hideous lust into which has degenerated torrent from heavenly serenity by its proclivities? You can hear the monster, sur monster surges. So should compassion be cast aside, by no means one can at times love sorrows, but beware of impurity, O oh, my soul, under the protection of my God, the God of all fathers, who is to be praised and exalted above all for eternity, beware of impurity, that is in your, beware of impurities in your green juice, <laughs> not that I had ceased to feel pity. But in those days in the theater, I shared in the delight of the lovers when they enjoyed one another in disgraceful acts. So what they were doing was imaginary and on the stage, and when they lost one another, it was as if I grieved with them and pity. I enjoyed both their twice and their sorrows, but today I am far more pity for the him who takes pleasure in shameful acts than for him who believes he is suffering through lack of some pernicious delight or because he has lost out on some pitiful struggle luck. <laughs> That's the monstrous uh, surges. This is certainly the truer compassion, but sorrow does not delight in it. For even if a person who grieves for this and distress is contented for his charity, he was genuinely compassionate, would prefer here there to be nothing for him to grieve for. Only if there were such a thing as malbalance. Which could that be? Would a person be truly and sincerely pities the push that there was pitiful wretches for him to pity? Hence there is pain that is laudable, but not pain that can be loved for you, O Lord God. Who loves souls and have compassion for far purer than ours? You have pity that is more unchangeable since you are never beset by sorrow. This Who is this sufficient for such things? podcast goes on regardless of conditions. 2.4 But in those days I had wretch that I was I loved, I creep, and looked for occasions to which to grieve. And the actors feigned and conjured sorrows the spectacle pleased me all the more and more ardently when it brought me to tears. Is it a wonder that a luckless sheep impatient of your in oversight strays from your flock only to be beset by festering pestilence? 
This was the source of my love for sorrow, not the kind of sorrow that penetrated deep within me, for I did not long for the suffering I saw on the stage, but only the kind that would scratch me lightly, but just as with the scratches of fingernails there are inflamed swellings, pus, and pucha, putrefaction. My life being such was it a life, my God. 3.5. But from afar, your mercy so constant hovered over me. <laughs> Seems that's what happened. But from afar, your mercy, so constant, hovered over me. But with, but how many sins did I consume myself in my quest for sacrilegious knowledge that led me, who had forsaken you into perfidious abyss, to this deceitful eyed swift devils to whom I offered up my evil deeds. And in all, I did. And in all, I did you scourged me. What? Uh, this one because I had that one. This uh, one? Yeah, see. Okay. Hmm. And all, and all, I didn't scourge me during the solemnities celebrated within the sanctity of your church. I even dared to lust and to bring about something worthy of the fruit of death. That's like you look at the good-looking women in the church. I dared to lust for this. You slashed me with great punishments. Though not in proportion to my guilt, O oh my God, you who are my greatest mercy, who are my refuge from the terrible evils among which I proudly strode only to wander further from you, loving my path and not yours. It's where you love your own path. You love what you want to do and not yours. Loving the troubled liberty of the fugitive slave. Well, they teach you individuality like it's a religion or something in college. Loving your own path. <laughs> 3.6. My supposedly respectable studies had the aim of achieving excellence in the courts of litigation. Where the greater the deceit, the greater the praise. Hmm. Excellence in the courts of litigation. Where the greater the deceit, the greater the praise. Hmm. That's still true today. Hmm. Such is the blindness of men that they glory in blindness. And I was the foremost pupil in the school of rhetoric. I was puffed up with pride and rejoiced in vanity, though I was more restrained by far than my fellow students, Lord, as you know, keeping my distance from the destructiveness of the destroyers who sported the sinister devilish name as a sign of urbane vanity. Sign of being in the city. <laughs> I lived among them shamelessly ashamed that I was not like them. I was with them and at times enjoyed their friendship, though I always abhorred the deeds with which they shamelessly persecuted shy new students, attacking them and jeering at them for no reason, feeding their own malicious delight. Nothing resembles the actions of devils more than theirs. So, so what better name can there be for them than the destroyers? destroyed and corrupted as they are by the deceitful spirits that secretly deride and waylay them with the same deeds with which they taunt and deceive others. Huh? What? Tea? Why don't you put tea in there? I'll put something in there. Coffee or tea. 
Cafe, maybe. Fresh cafe. Coffee, coffee. Fresh coffee? Huh. <laughs> yeah, I'll finish here. 4.7. It was among them at my tender age that I studied the books of eloquence by which I longed to distinguish myself. Driven by a delight in human vanity, a damnable and empty aim, in the course of my studies I had come upon a by a certain Cicero, whose tongue almost everyone admires, so not so much his heart. The book is called Hortensius. This is a famous... He was influenced by Cicero. Hortensius, H-O-R-T-E-N-S-I-U-S, and contains an exhortation to study philosophy. It altered my state of mind and my prayers, making them turn to you, capital U, Lord, changing my longings and desires. Suddenly every vanity became worthless, and with a fire raging in my heart I longed for the immortality of wisdom, rousing me to return to you. You see, the funny thing is, people think uh, he turned to the Bible or Christianity and developed a longing for God. But here... He's reading Cicero. That means I'll have to read Cicero, I guess. I did not immerse myself in this book to perfect my style, something I was pursuing in those days. What? I did not immerse myself in this book to perfect my style, something I was pursuing in those days when I was 19 with my mother's funds as my father had died two years before. No, it was not to perfect my style, for it was not the book's style that swayed me, but its words. Uh-huh. 4.8. How I burned, my God, now I burned to soar up to you from earthly things, so I did not know what you would do with me. For with you is wisdom, but the love of wisdom is called in Greek philosophy. And it was that with which Cicero's book inflamed me. There, there are those who use philosophy to lead people astray, shading and coloring their errors by means of that great and honored word. And almost all the philosophers who in Cicero's day and in former ages were of that kind were listed and described in his book. Where also is the salutary advice of your spirit through which you sent through your good and pious servant Paul. So Paul is uh, in there. Beware, at least anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of me, man, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ, but for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead of Adelaide. At that time, as you know, I, O light of my heart, the words of the apostle were still unknown to me, but one thing that attracted me was Cicero's exhortation not to embrace this or that doctrine, quote, but to prize and pursue wisdom, whatever it be, to achieve, understand, and embrace it. They should pursue wisdom. The only thing in Cicero's book... Is that <laughs> What? I can't play tennis. Tennis? Am I playing tennis? My shoes? Yeah. See? See. Okay. My shoes? I'll, I'm going to finish here in a second. The only thing in Cicero's book that dampened my placing fervor was that the name of Christ was not in it. For Christ's name, by his your mercy, guard this name of my Savior, your son, my infant heart, had devotedly imbibed with my mother's milk. Drinking it, pursuing it deep within me, and whatever work did not contain that name could not grip me entirely, no matter how 
or in refined and sincere it might be. So he did get Christ through his mother's milk. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. His mother was a Christian. Let's stop here. Because my secondary religion is playing tennis. The first is mysticism. Meditation.